Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. That's right. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. We got a great show for you today. You guys can listen to us on iHeartRadio, on iTunes, over on SoundCloud, at SportsGarden.com, Facebook and Twitter also. That's how you get in touch with us at SportsGarden, G-A-R-T-E-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N. Get you a part of the show, and you want to be a part of today's show. We have money-making opportunities all over the place. We've We've had our first double headers in Major League Baseball, and guys, there was massive opportunities this week, and I think we're going to have them moving forward with the totals and the lines. And speaking of totals, we're going to have our special guest, and we're going to have him join on right now with us, Maury Brown. Maury Brown wrote an article this week, which I loved. He's a writer for Forbes Sports, USA Today, National Major League Baseball writer, and he wrote an article that talked about the flight of the baseball. We know it was record-breaking last year. A lot of pitchers said it felt different in their hands. It was a different feel to the baseball. Well, Maury Brown went in-depth, wrote an article, and said, wait a minute, I don't think much has changed. So let's hear right from the man himself. With that... Maury Brown, welcome to the program. How are you doing today, Maury? I'm great, Tom. How about yourself? I am pretty good. I'm pretty good. I got to tell you, I really enjoyed your article that that you did write. Uh, I touched on it just a couple of moments ago. Um, And I got to get into it with you because you did some digging. And to me, this was eye-opening. And I don't think the general public was able to get the eye-opening experience that this is is absolutely changing. If you're a sports better, this is important to you. If you're a fan, it's important to you. If you're a fantasy owner, this is important to you. This is just a massive article. And let me just start off by asking you. After the record number of home runs last season, as after the record number of runs, after all of that, I'm just going to come out and ask you. I'm not saving it for the end. Is the ball juiced, Maury? No, I don't think it was ever willfully juiced. Look, I mean, have there been fluctuations in the materials and the, the manufacturing process at Rawlings? Yeah, I mean, their own report and independent um, you know, analysts have looked at the data and shows that, yeah, that was the case, that it went up and down. Um, you know, it was deadened, it looked like, during the postseason. Um, but it looks like the recommendations by their panel that they had that they released at the baseball winter meetings, there were a bunch of recommendations, looking at the weather, installing humidors, a bunch of stuff. And none of that stuff was adopted. Now, the excuse, of course, by the league was that it was the pandemic. But, um, look, if you were going to put some of that stuff in place, it would have been done um, long before the pandemic hit and before the league um, shut down and then reopened as part of the shortened season. And that's it, listeners. Guys, Maury Brown did the article. They, they're not changing it, or they didn't change it now. And that leads me to my question. We all sit back and go, oh, man, the ball's juiced, the ball's this way. This is the general consensus among the public that, wow, the ball's flying out. But I'm going to ask you, look, outside of a couple of pitchers, or maybe all the pitchers, batters want offense, Owners want offense. The majority of fans, I'm not in that camp, but the majority of fans want offense. They want younger viewers. Why would they change it, Maury? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, you know, when I talked to to Rob Manfred in September of last year, they wanted more consistency. Now, look, whether that consistency involves a ball that that would travel further, you know, I, you know, sure, we can look at that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, the big the big problem, of course, is this up-and-down action that we're getting, and then just the general conversation around it. Like, I don't understand 
why you don't have a quality process that allows for, you know, a sense of consistency. The league, uh, you know, is a personal owner of Rawlings now. They should have that stuff in place. But, you know, you're, you're trying to get away from that sort of thing. The ball is basically the one constant. It's the most, it should be the most true thing that you have. And this is a little bit different, I think, than the situation that we saw with the NFL where there were, you know, uh, it was it's going from warm to cold. I mean, those things factor in, in baseball, and that's why they said, hey, install humidors in all 30 ballparks. None of that stuff happened. So, you know, it's a wacky season. You know, I don't know if they just said, you know what, it's already wacky. You know, let's just go with it. we got bigger things to worry about. But, I mean, there was some investments involved that would have had to have been put into place long, once again, long before spring training was involved, you would have done this stuff. You want to install stuff to look at the weather and make sure that you understand how the wind and how, you know, humidity and temperature and everything affects the flight of the ball, then you would have installed that stuff. If it was a matter of the humidors, those things would have been installed. If it was a matter of the quality control at Rawlings, well, okay, maybe. But in the overall, I just think what you're going to get is, you know, there'll be this discussion about it. Right now, I think fans are largely not focused on it. But it is part of the game, and I think, you know, once again, it's important. Let me ask you, this is probably a lot of speculation here, okay? It's a speculative question, but I would like you to speculate if you can. What does Manfred think about all this? Does he believe more runs are good for the game? Well, look, I mean, the, you know, it's Rob Manfred, right? I mean, I, I wrote about this. <laughs> I, I dare say I wouldn't want to get into his mind. Look, if there's one thing that we figured out about Rob Manfred is efficiency is his biggest thing. Efficiency and, and effectivity, you know, pace of play, you know, contracting the minors, doing stuff on the business side that fans really don't care about. There, but there's been a bunch of stuff that he is really involved in. He will largely be remembered as the bean counter efficiency guy. So to think about that, I, I don't know if you want a ball that's inconsistent. And so once again, I get back to that. He said he wanted to see more consistency in the ball, and that would basically – speak to him but yeah i mean look they're trying to lure fans beyond the core which is kind of counterproductive when i go back to the minor leagues and how you grow this game the efficiency in terms of the bean counting and the money for the owners yeah if you're trying to grow the game and you're trying to make that happen then yes offense universal dh i think is going to help that a little bit pitch clock might a little bit but in terms of the overall, do we want to see offense to, you know, quote-unquote chicks love the long ball? I guess. You know, it is one of those things. But I think the biggest thing is keeping the game moving and going forward is the biggest thing, whether that's a bunch of singles and keeping the line moving. You know, that's one fan's interest. Home runs another. Yeah, I think late in games we love to see um, lots of home runs. I don't know if tacking on six, you know, home runs in the early innings is, does anything for your interest when games start stretching into three and potentially four hours. Yeah, the timing never bothered me, but I'm a guy that, you know, I like baseball. The thing that you said, you mentioned the universal designated hitter. This is something that, again, it's more offense. I go back, look, I'm a betting guy, and I go back 10 years, 15 years in the NFL. You had total set at 33 between you know Pittsburgh and Baltimore. And now a 33 number would never, if it, you got a 43 number, it's considered low. In Major League Baseball, you'd never see a total sitting there at 11 or 12 unless it was Wrigley and the wind was blowing out. Regularly, we now have 11 and 12s on the board because of the offense, because of the ball, because of the universal DH. I think we can basically say, Maury, that the Universal DH is here to stay. What other implementing 
uh, I said Corona-wise, things, do you think, they are they going to stay? Are they going to stay with the playoff teams? Are they going to stick with the seven-inning doubleheaders? What are the, some of the Corona rules, we'll say, things that might stick? Well, I think the playoff thing is going to stick. I mean, it's going to be very hard for the, the owners and the players to walk away from it um, in term, because there's money and there's significant money involved. And look, I mean, the owners are going to want to see it, and the players are going to want to see it, because then they'll be able to, there'll be an additional six teams, you know, that will be able to say, yeah, we made the playoffs. You know, I mean, that's a big deal when you come up for contract negotiations, for television, for the players, on and on and on. So I think that that is absolutely going to stick. Um, I think, obviously, the universal DH, I think, sticks. The players have wanted that for a very long time. There's valid reasons for it, right? I mean, it increases the life of uh, position players. It creates, you know, quote-unquote, jobs. So there is that. And, look, I, you know, I, I think that it's just, you know, I was talking to Chipper Jones the other day, and, and he said something. I didn't expect it from him. He says, I hated it. I hated it. If I had had the same amount of at-bats, you know, as Derek Jeter, my you know my numbers would have soared because of it because he's not sitting there with some guy in ahead of him in the lineup killing him. Um, I don't think that the runner on second base is going to stick. Um, for uh, you know, for one thing, it drives you know purists crazy. But for the other thing, I don't know if it's really shortening up games, which was the intent of this thing. You know, we're seeing basically this ping ponging back and forth. So you know, there's been a couple of 13 inning games and whatnot. I think that that can that that might go away. But, um, you know, I think the other stuff is going to stick. I really do. I, you know, I, I think that obviously the, the, the situation with relievers having to go through three batters and, and that is, was in place beforehand, that will be there. Um, so, look, I, you know, I think that some of this stuff fans will get used to and, and it's going to stay. I, I just think that it, for a number of reasons they do it. We're on the phone with Maury Brown, Forbes Sports, USA Today, and he's a national baseball writer. Great article this week. Maury, let me just move away to uh, more of a general question here. When you're talking about Major League Baseball this season, the Marlins are getting killed. Don Mattingly, Derek Jeter are, are just getting destroyed. Now it's in Philly. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Then it was in St. Louis. And, you know, why didn't Manfred just stand up and just say, hey, look, you know, guys got sick. We had a protocol in place for this. We kind of were ready. And and come out and give this, not on Major League Baseball TV, which I love, but the general public didn't see this. 24 hours later, Manfred doing a, an interview on Major League Baseball TV didn't get out in front of it when the whole world is kind of killing baseball's handling of it. I don't think they handled it poorly. I really don't. But they're getting bashed. And again, Rob Manfred's nowhere to be found when it's just time to step up and say, hey, yeah, this is why we made 30-man rosters. Do you think they handled it well, or am I kind of overshooting it? No, I don't think that they handled it the best. I really don't. Look, I know Rob a little bit, right? I mean, he, he wants to get out there and talk, and sometimes I don't know if that really helps him. I think that he says some things that he immediately has to turn around and double back on, which is never a good look. But look, I mean, I think the biggest thing here was, I, you know, I get back to the labor dispute that we had between the players and and management where they couldn't even figure out who said what. And then I get to this situation with the protocols, which now we have to go out and we have chaperones in the hotels and we've got to tell players how to wear their masks, which would, you know, you, you don't you have to wear it over your nose and all those other stuff and you have to wear it in the dugout. And you're going to get in trouble if you do these things. Now, I, part of me wants to sit there and go, hey, you know what? We're, as a general society, we should know this stuff by now. 
But then I guess I look at the culture war that goes on and I go, wait a second, what am I thinking about? The, this is happening with the players, and this is the problem with protocols, right? They're only as strong as the people. So I guess they should have said, given human nature and given what's going on with this thing, and given that a lot of these you know, athletes are young and maybe not thinking about this, maybe we should over-amplify how the protocol should be. You've got to wear them here. This is how it's going to be. Don't leave your hotel. Don't do this stuff. Then I put that on management, and I put that on Manfred and, and the negotiations with the MLBPA. I put it on the players themselves who are going out and doing stupid things, right? I mean, if you've got to put rules in place to make sure that they don't do stupid things, well, that should have been up front. But if irrespective of that, you would think people would be smart enough now to know this thing. They're not, apparently. And that's why you're having these outbreaks. I mean, it, it, it's it's not a good look. And you, you do this early on. You have this going on early on. you got slack in your schedule. You wait a little bit. If this happens again, then there's no slack in your schedule, and you're getting into all kind of whiz-wacky thing at the end of this thing if they try and force it through, which Manfred has said he wants to do. Then you got a situation like we're seeing with the Marlins right now where they're like a half game up on Atlanta, but they've played a fraction of the game. Yeah. And you, you get at the end of the season and something's like that, everybody's going to go, wait a second, you're going to do this on winning percentage? And you got teams that have like not played the same number of games? I mean, I get one or two, but if it starts getting to five or six, then it's going to start to be a large topic of discussion, and it's going to be, I think, a problem in terms of the integrity of the teams that are – winning their divisions and where they see in terms of the the postseason. Maury, last question, because she did bring up, uh, you know, integrity. And I've very, from the very beginning, I've been there and said, I don't care if we ch- crown a champion this year. I don't care at 60 games. They're a legit champion. You're playing legit players and everyone has the same schedule. You're, It's all legit to me. I'm calling it now if you're a World Series winner. There's no asterisk. There's nothing. You are a World Series winner. Not a lot of people feel like I do. How do the players feel and how do you feel personally? Is it a legit championship? Well, look, I mean, if you win the championship, of course you're going to say it's legitimate. You know, I mean, will there be, you know, questions about this thing? Yeah, there'll be a mountain of books written about it. We will talk about 2020 and look, not to bring up a whole other topic, but I'm not feeling too confident that 2021 is not too dissimilar from where we are now. But we, look, my feeling on it is that I, you don't put an asterisk on it. It, it, you know, I hate to use this phrase. It is what it is, right? I mean, this was the the conditions under which they're going to play, and all the teams are playing under the same conditions. Everybody's going through this thing, so yeah, it's a World Series trophy. It is under the conditions that they are, and you know, it's sixty games and whatnot. Does it get weighted the same? You know, will there be conversations about it? Look, it's baseball. If we're not arguing about it all the time, it's just not America. So, yeah, I mean, there will be arguments about whether it needs to be an asterisk. There's been asterisks around, you know, Roger Maris and Barry Bonds and the Houston Astros, and we can go on and on and on. And it's just the fabric of baseball. So, look, I would say that whoever wins this thing, they deserve their World Series championship. I think they're playing under an incredible duress with the way that these restrictions are, the way that players opted out, the way that the whole minor league system was shut down, and the way that you've got players testing positive and rolling in and out of your lineup. It's the screwiest thing ever. So in some ways, I think think it's the most difficult season to try and manage and try and be a GM for, maybe in the history of the game, irrespective of the 60 games. So yeah, 
if you win that World Series championship, I think it's legitimate. I completely agree. I completely agree. I, I like your take that it is the most difficult. Maury, thank you so much for your time today. It's Maury Brown, Forbes Sports, USA Today, National Major League Baseball writer. Go check him out on Twitter. It's at BizBallMaury, B-I-Z-B-A-L-L-M-A-U-R-Y. You can check out the article right there. Thank you very much, Maury. All right, Tom. You take care of yourself. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So that's it, guys. Look, I brought him on the show because, first of all, it's a good article, but I brought him on the show because, guys, on a betting aspect, the totals are huge this year. The totals are massive, and it doesn't look like it's going away. I know a lot of guys that are betting Major League Baseball totals, and they're betting Major League Baseball totals in the a mindset of, well, it's still all the same. No, it's not. Last year was historic. This year is historic. You're going to routinely see big numbers. Don't let these big, giant numbers run away from you, man. I see it all the time. People go, oh, it's a 10. I got to run away. Why? Because for 15 years I've been betting 10s and 10s is an under. No, not anymore. Not in the world we are today. In the world we are today and the baseball that they're using that Maury just told you is unchanged. More offense, more numbers, higher totals. That's what you should expect. All right, we're going to take a quick time out. We'll be right back with more Wagering Week right after this. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Oh, I'm looking at a game this weekend, guys. But it's going to be a high line. Look, Clayton Kershaw is going to be minus 300 plus this weekend against the Giants in L.A. Kershaw was supposed to be more than 3-1 to one odds on opening day. What are the odds? Well, he's going to be more than 3-1. to one, But it goes into more mismatches that we've seen this Major League Baseball season. This season, we've already seen five games go over a 310 number on the closing number. More than 30% of all games played are more than a 2-1 to one number or very close to it. Guys, what are the odds? We're talking about big totals. How about big odds? I always tell you, don't be afraid of the odds, but you got to be real careful. Look, if you're betting a Clayton Kershaw, let's just say at 3-1, to one, and you lose that game, that means you got to go 4-0 to produce a profit the next time out. So be very careful if you're going to bet Major League Baseball big odds. But that's what are the odds. Just to go a little bit more into... Uh, the Major League Baseball situation here. I want to stick with Clayton Kershaw just because it is a ridiculous stat line that we have. Look, he's not playing opening day, okay, because it's not the official opening day, but it's the Dodgers opening day. You could say that, and it's against the Dodgers. He's just ridiculous in certain spots. First of all, he's the best pitcher that I've ever seen. I've said that many, many times. But there are certain points where his stat line just gets unreal. Against the San Francisco Giants... Last year, he had four starts, a 2.37 ERA. Year before that, 2.77 ERA in four starts. Let's keep going. 2017, 1.59. 2016, 2.00. 2015, 2.11. 2014, 1.69. 1.38 the year before that. 1.62 the year before that. 1.07. You hearing a lot of 1s and 2s? That's his ERA last year. 2.37 was considered a bad ERA against the Giants. And now the Giants, they may have, it's very possible they have the worst offense that they've had during this stretch. Clayton Kershaw is phenomenal at home. 
His winning percentage at home is legendary. Legitimately legendary at home. 93 and 36. He has a 2.15 ERA at home with 72% winning percentage. But it's against the Giants that I'm talking about here. The Giants, he owns them. Just food for thought for the weekend. To go a little bit further on the Giants, look, the Giants have been playing... uh, okay baseball. They're not getting crushed out here, right? They're not being the Pittsburgh Pirates. Sorry, Pirate fans. And he's facing Johnny Cueto. Here's the problem, and I want to go into a little bit of what's going on with the San Francisco Giants, and specifically Johnny Cueto. The four-seam fastball was only... uh, This is, by the way, Kerry Crowley of the Mercury News, I want to give credit to, because he broke a lot of this down. The four-seam fastball that Johnny Cueto threw only 21 times against Colorado, and it's his worst pitch right now. Opposing hitters had over 1,000, 1.00 slugging percentage against him. They're just bashing the ball. And his four-seam historically has been his best pitch. That's the problem here. So his last two healthy seasons, they went 75 and 162 against Cueto's fastball with a 207 batting average. He's getting blasted right now. And it's not just Johnny Cueto. Jeff Samarja, who we know has a four-seam fastball, you could basically say that was his best pitch. 174 against. All of a sudden, he's getting bashed on his four-seam fastball. They just don't have their velocity. They're just not getting the strikeouts. Then all all of a sudden, you go, oh, by the way. Oh, by the way. They're not a good defensive team either. (laughs) Right? So... This is a perfect storm. I never try to tell you to go out there and bet a, a 300 favorite, right? This is not something that, that I'm, I'm convincing you. What I'm saying is that start fading the Giants if you haven't already. Johnny Quaid will look good on opening day. He's a guy to start fading, fading Jeff Samarja. These are guys that just have historically been workhorses. They're not massive value guys, but they're workhorses. The Giants are a team to fade. They, are, they were my team before the year to be the worst team in baseball. And although their record doesn't show it, I think they still might be. They don't even have closer right now. This is just a bad team. And you want to talk about overs to tie it all in with what I was talking about, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, the overs in Giant games, uh, when Cueto and Samarja start especially, are probably going to be a little bit lower because of the name recognition, and you can take advantage of that. Um, Real quick also, this weekend, Yankees at Rays. They're supposed to be good pitching matchups, and it's just the Yankees are playing on another level. They, they just are. They're flat out playing on another level, and the Rays just can't get out of their own way. All right. Let's talk about heavy favorites. Because this week, we did. We had the Yankees at a 360, the opening number, and it fell. We had big-time favorites in Major League Baseball over the course of the year, which I have alluded to. But I want to get into the betting strategies of a heavy favorite, because... More often than not, what you do is you sit down and you talk to somebody that's a novice. And I had this conversation actually this week. Um, a guy that plays softball said to me, you know, I, I bet all the time. I, I love betting the heavy favorites, but I take the minus one and a half. And I said, don't ever do that. It, it's the worst strategy that you could do. I did it myself. I'm giving you the game plan and the playbook that I made mistakes on. I did it myself. And I broke down how many games did I lose by a bullpen imploding or, or I lose minus the one and a half that they only won by one, but I was on the right team. It's shocking how much that is. Remember, first of all, if you're betting on home team, you don't even get the last legs. And if you're a home team favorite, now you do get in one less at bat to get those two more runs. The percentages are just not there. If you're a math guy, you would call this an absolutely awful, awful situation. 
If you're not a math guy, just use your common sense. Just lay the money if you want to lay the money. Now, again, betting big favorites is not profitable in the long run anyway. But I'm trying to get people away from betting minus the one and a half. But if you are going to do it, I would also wait very late. Usually what happens with a heavy money favorite, and I'll talk about the Yankees this week with Garrett Cole on the mound, what happened. They opened up at minus 320. And this is what happens with a lot of big money line favorites. They opened up the week minus 320. Okay, so you're sitting there at minus 320. Early people bet. Everybody loves Garrett Cole. Everybody loves the Yankees. Oh, my goodness. It pushed it all the way up to minus 360 in some books. So Garrett Cole was sitting at minus 360 in one books. But if you had the patience and you were a smart better, you were a sharp, as I hate to use that term, but you were a sharp better. Well, you were going to wait until the line fell. Now, it wasn't too sharp because the Yankees won anyway, but you were going to wait until the line fell. And eventually, this number went off at minus 290. So that's a $70 difference because of when you're betting. If you're going to bet the big favorites, either bet them immediately when they are released or wait until right before game time, hope the public pushes it to a point where they have to start driving in the other money, and then the late money comes in, boom, and all of a sudden it falls and plummets because of the late money and the late boost. That's how you go with heavy favorites. But it's not only heavy favorites in Major League Baseball. That is something I wanted to discuss today. Because this week we had a massive favorite. Massive favorite. The Milwaukee Bucks were minus 19 against the Brooklyn Nets. And we get it. The Brooklyn Nets are just a shell of themselves. They're literally running out guys that should not be anywhere near the NBA. Okay, I, I was going to say playground, but that's an insult to playgrounds in some of these cases. Okay, these guys, uh, the collection of team, they're just not name brands. They shouldn't be on teams. They were hit. The Nets were hurt with the Corona situation more than any other team. The Bucks are the Bucks. The Bucks are Giannis and stand on my shoulders and watch us go for a championship. And they probably are going to get to a championship. But they lost the game. And you could tell me that they sat a bunch of people, and the Bucks did. But you could have gotten this line at plus 19. Plus 19 in an NBA game in a bubble during the regular season when the game meant nothing for the Milwaukee Bucks. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what happened with the line. Think about what you're talking about. Plus 19 with a team in a bubble that the game meant nothing for the Bucks. There was always the opportunity they were going to rest people plus 19, and they won. So if you would have taken the Nets there, you would have got about 13 to 1 odds, 15 to 1 odds, depending on what sports book you, you had. Here's another interesting wrinkle. A lot of these sports books, what they're doing now is they're giving quarter lines. Now, I've always used this, but it was a lot of offshores. Now, a lot of them are doing it. The Nets were up six points after the first quarter. You could have got the Nets Live betting plus 11 and a half. So I don't want to hear anybody out there telling me, well, yeah, but you know what? You're not going to get the 19 because once you found out Giannis was sitting, at, it doesn't matter. The next, they've played a quarter. You knew the Bucks were sitting, guys. The Nets were up six points and they were still plus 11 and a half on the betting line. Are you kidding me? So a good opportunity there to jump on the Nets once you knew about the injuries, once you've seen the course of play, once you've watched the Milwaukee Bucks were going through the motions. Anybody that watched their first quarter would say, Milwaukee doesn't care tonight. And you could get plus 11 and a half? 
plus a team that's up six. That means the Bucks in three quarters were to outscore them by 18 points for you to lose. The opening line was 19 with Giannis in there. This is what sports books do. I'm not bashing the sports books because, look, they were getting action from both sides, I'm sure. But, guys, you can can outthink the sports books, and this is the position to do it. They opened the line at 19 with a full Bucks team and Giannis. It was 11.5 up by 6. That's 17.5. They would have been scored by 18. There's only three quarters left, and you know Giannis isn't playing. Guys, this is a buy-on situation, and these things arise. Now, you also very well could have gotten into the situation at the half if you wanted to. You can make a ton of money if you spot these sort of conditions and whatnot. By the way, if you want to take it another level and really take advantage of things, if you take these giant underdogs, okay, if you take the big underdogs and you're feeling good, you can cash out early now in some spots. DraftKings does it, FanDuel does it, does it. I'm not promoting anybody, just saying I, I know for a fact that they do. You are able to go out there and you are able to cash out early. So, for example, after the first quarter, guys, the Nets were up by six. If you didn't want to take the 11 and a half and you said, you know what? Hmm. Maybe the Bucks are going to come back and win this thing. The sportsbooks were offering a payout midway through the second quarter at 8-1 to one odds. Now, I've heard different opinions on this, and I want to give you my opinion. Do you take the 8-1 to one odds? Hell yes, you do. And, and I understand we are in different camps when it sits here and you have these kind of things. I get that. But guys, I think you have to take, if you're taking a massive favorite and you are betting, we're just going to do $100, $100 to win $1,500. Oh, that's a nice, listen, $100 to win $1,500, well, that sounds great. But I get a guaranteed $800 right now and I don't have to sweat out the next three quarters or two and a half quarters. I get a guaranteed $800 right now. I only bet 100 This is where greed gets you in a bad spot. Sure, the Nets did win, and you could say, well, I actually lost 700 because I took the 800. I would always, and I've repeated this mantra my entire career, so if you're listening to me my entire career, sorry, but you're going to hear it again. I would much rather be mad at myself. I'd much rather my clients be mad at me for not making them enough money as opposed to losing. I would always rather be the guy that says, oh, man, I only made five grand this week instead of the seven I should have, rather than be the guy that goes, wow, I lost three grand. Always. So if you're handed guaranteed money, I'm always taking the guaranteed money. All right, what's that show? What, what was that show with Howie Mandel where you got the suitcases and stuff? Uh, let's make a deal or something. No, no, no. Deal or no deal. That's what it was. Deal or no deal. At the end of the game, they always have the opportunity, right? And you always have two people, like one suitcase or the other. And you can trade your suitcase in and people go, well, I chose my number and I wrote it out. I'm always taking the deal. Always. Are you kidding me? Take the deal. Take the money. Put it in your pocket and go, wow, you know what? I could have had more. It doesn't matter. So this is like a PSA from Tom Barton right now, right? This is my, my PSA out there. It is, guys, take the money. If the sports books are doing this and they're willing to pay you out like this, uh, take the payout. Even though the Nets were up, even though the Nets uh, were playing a depleted and arresting Milwaukee Bucks team, I would have taken the payout. So we're talking about you know heavy favorites and we're talking about big underdogs. 
And, and I do often get asked, do I stay away from the big favorites? Again, I mentioned it. I will bet big favorites. I'm one of the few handicappers in the country that will. I actually just uh, did a piece at the Chicago Sun-Times that were talking about big favorites. And I said, you could talk to 20 handicappers, and they're all going to tell you they don't do it. I'll do it, but you have to do it very, very carefully. You have to be very, very cautious with the big favorites that you do. I threw some money on Garrett Cole. I got him at the minus 300, but I threw some money on Garrett Cole. I'm okay with that because I have confidence in my long-term aspect. I would advise anybody that is new to this business, anybody that has a short bankroll, anyone that is thinking to themselves, wow, I need this money to stay very far away from heavy favorites, very far away. Because what you do is you get yourself into a position where I know at some point in the next couple of weeks, I'll go 4-0 and be able to make that money back up. You may not. You may not be able to do that. You may have to pay your guy. Uh, you may have to, you know, find a new deposit situation. You might have to go take a drive two and a half hours to get to the casino, whatever it might be. Not all situations are the same. Not all bankrolls are the same. I don't run away from heavy favorites. I would much rather take a shot at the underdogs. But in the same respect, I'm not just going to throw money on an underdog because they have a good price. You see this a lot of times with golf. Getting into you know, a completely other sport, you see this a lot of time with golf. Well, I don't think this guy's going to win, but he's uh, 150 to 1, so I'll take 20 bucks. Well, why? Take that $20, throw it on a guy you think is going to win, even if it only makes you 60 bucks. Who cares? Take the 60. Don't fall for the allure and the grandeur of huge underdogs. Don't fall for the big-time underdogs. And one of the things that bothers me, and we will transition back into uh, more betting things, but one of the things that does bother me is the people that speak, and they speak in a tone of saying, there's value on an underdog. Well, I would have never taken this team, but I, you know, there's value on them. Um, no, there's not really. Dave Sherapin put out on the sports book uh, on Twitter this week, and Dave Sharpin, a friend of the show's, uh, he is sports book director in Las Vegas. He put out on Twitter and kind of was poking fun at a conversation that he overheard. And somebody put 600 bucks on the Washington Redskins. Why? Because they had massive odds. And their reasoning was, oh, I don't think they're going to win, but these guys, these are some good odds. They got some good odds. That's a terrible strategy. That's <laughs> an awful, awful strategy. Don't do it. Don't get caught in those traps. So we're talking about heavy favorites. We're talking about heavy underdogs. We were talking about big-time numbers, big-time totals. Don't be scared off if you like it. If it's a heavy favorite, if it's a heavy total, if it's a heavy number, don't be afraid. But be really, really cautious when you're going to navigate this kind of minefield. All right, guys. Let's go take a look at Bet to the Future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet to the future. All right, we're going to transition into a little NFL now where we're going to go bet to the future. The Las Vegas Raiders, well, are they really? I mean, if a tree falls in the frost and no one's there to hear it, does the tree really fall? If an NFL team plays in a brand new city and no one's there to watch it, are they really the Las Vegas Raiders? Yes, they are. But on the betting line, ladies and gentlemen, this is something huge. Las Vegas announced there will be no fans in the stands of their brand new stadium, their brand new team, the Las Vegas Raiders. So it got me thinking. I went on a long tirade about how the Philadelphia Eagles not being able to play in front of fans took them out of my Super Bowl 
structure. And I liked the Eagles, and I was high on the Eagles. Well, the Raiders were never going to be in the AFC West pick because you got Patrick Mahomes there. There's nobody that was picking the Raiders to win the AFC. There was nobody that was picking the Raiders to go and win the Super Bowl. But... There was a lot of people that were talking to me and asking me, do I think the Raiders could go 500? When somebody asked me that, I go, you mean, will they hit the over? The Raiders, with no fans, are now under the 7.5, minus 125. The Raiders, with fans, were still 7.5, but it was minus 110. You see that line shifting. You see that line moving. There was some early movement on it. So the bet to the future here, guys, is the Raiders now have gone from 7.5 wins on the season from minus 110 to the under to minus 125 to the under. And I think the closer we get to the season, you might be able to see that fall to a 7. That is bet to the future. Now, just to explain to you, Usually with a line, when you're talking about the numbers, and we've discussed this on the show, but I want to do it again. When you get to a 120, 125, the number will eventually fall. You don't see a lot of minus 130s out there. Everything opens up at minus 110, and then depending on the money. This is saying to me that the sportsbooks don't want to move the Raiders off of the 7.5 wins. They just don't want to do it. But they may be forced to. I'm somebody that looked at the Raiders. I looked at their schedule. I do the Las Vegas Raiders radio report. I I, I have re- really good insight to the Raiders, we'll say. And I was trying to find eight wins, and I could not do it. I, hard, I had a really hard time finding seven wins. I had a tough time finding seven wins. They were about a six-win team for me on paper before the no fans. And is there any team that gets hurt worse than the Raiders who are bringing in three offensive rookies to play a prime role in that team without OTAs this year? So you have no OTAs, you have limited contact, limited camps, three rookies on the team, now you're in front of no fans, you're playing the Chiefs, you're playing the now all of a sudden dangerous Broncos, you're playing the Chargers defense, you're playing good teams. I'm telling you guys, the 7.5, if you could get it, I'm still taking it at minus 125. This is a good pick. Once it goes to 7, I'm not going to take it because I could see them getting to the 7, not to the 6. That's something to certainly pay attention to. All right, I'm going to transition back into Major League Baseball here because we have to talk about the doubleheaders. I promised I would talk about it at the beginning of the show, and it's something that we have to do because I made a lot of money on it this week, and I want you guys to start making money on it. Major League Baseball doubleheaders was announced earlier this year, uh, right after the corona pandemic, that doubleheaders would be changed to seven innings. Now, this was going to be impactful no matter who you are. It's a seven-inning game now. There are starters that are going to get complete game shutouts, which happened this week, and pitching only seven innings. If you're betting on a total, guys, they haven't adjusted. And I will tell you, I liked the Reds' total the night before. The Reds' total was nine. Nine through a nine-inning game. The next day, when they played the doubleheader, both games of the doubleheader, the totals were eight and a half. The line dropped a half a point for two less innings. It's massive. It's absolutely massive. Now, the Yankees, 
were a little bit different. The Yankees played a doubleheader this week against the Philadelphia uh, Phillies, and the Yankees' number was slightly lower. The Yankees' number was eight. But the Yankees didn't have an opening line, so it was hard to tell. Guys, it's still eight runs in seven innings. And I know it's the hard-hitting, bashing Yankees. But let me explain something. The New York Yankees, the hard-hitting, bashing Yankees, went 1-1 one and one on the total for a doubleheader. They went 1-1. One one. Okay? The Reds game, 2-0 to the under. So we start to have a little bit of a graph here where the unders are three wins and one loss for the doubleheaders. Something to pay attention to. How much will the sports books adjust? You look at it and you think, all right, on a normal situation, if the run total is nine, okay, nine through nine innings, well, if they're going to seven innings, we're going to bring it down to seven. But that's not reality, is it? Because a lot of the runs are usually going to be scored. This is why the second half is always more important than the first half. It's always a higher line. There's going to be more runs scored later in the game. But in the same respect, wait a minute. Pitchers are going to go later into the game. They're going to give it over right away to the, you could go right to your quote-unquote eighth inning guy. You could do that in the sixth inning. And your closer comes in in the seventh. So you don't know if those gap innings where there's minor league pitchers for all reality's sake. You don't have those gap innings where you're trying to get through into your big guys. There's two sides to this coin. This is something to watch. But I will tell you right now, early on, there's some value there. There's some value because they haven't adjusted there and they don't know how to adjust. But it's something to keep in mind. If you have a workhorse starting pitcher, somebody that goes deep into games, and you have a good closer, you know, you're in a good spot. You're in a really good spot because you probably shouldn't need anyone else but those two. There are guys that just go deep into games. If you're going from uh, Garrett Cole to Aroldis Chapman, oh, oh, I feel pretty good about that. You're going from Clayton Kershaw to Kenley Jansen, oh, I feel pretty good about that. But if you're going to be going with a young pitcher, a guy that might last only four innings, now you got to string it together. You don't have your closer involved. The double headers in Major League Baseball are thought to go over. That's usually the, the predominant thought because especially the second game, you use so many pitchers. We live in a new world. We live in a seventh inning world. And the unders have already shown three or four have gone under and under for the double headers. I think the unders are going to ride and prevail because the pitchers, starting pitchers are handing it off, even if you don't hand it off to the closer. If a starting pitcher can make it through five, Five effective innings. You give it to your eighth inning guy in the sixth and your closer in the seventh. And to take this further, because we're here on a 60-game season, the managers are not afraid to use their guys very often. They're not afraid to go to a closer. They're not afraid to go to their eighth inning guy because it's a short season. So the doubleheader unders are something to absolutely watch from here on out. It's not a blanket statement, okay? You got to pay attention to who's starting. You got to pay attention to the length that they're going to give you. You have to pay attention to the bullpens, as always. But you've got to pay attention because so far the books have not adjusted. The books are not adjusting properly, I should say. The books have not adjusted properly. So there is a buy opportunity. Now let's go also, oh, by the way, taking a favorite or shall I even say, a heavy favorite, do not take heavy favorites during a doubleheader. Basically, if you're taking a home team, who normally the home team is the big heavy favorite, where we're talking 250, 300, whatnot. If you're taking a big heavy favorite, you're usually the home team. Guys, you only have six innings. Because they're not batting, batting in the bottom of six, right? For that tack-on run. 
If you got to win by one and a half, no, we go back to the original statement. Don't do one and a half and be cautious. Just be cautious about the heavy favorites. We're really talking about, you know, a seven inning game and seven inning. Most of these good teams, they take advantage of the late inning relievers. You hear that all the time. Well, you know, the Yankees are a bashing team. Ah, if the Yankees could just get past, if they could just get past the starting pitcher, they'll beat up the bullpen. You've heard that for years. The Astros were doing that really well last year. The Astros, eh, okay, keep it close, keep it close, keep it close. We'll get him in the 7th, 8th, and ninth. Well, there is no 8th and ninth, so you don't have that anymore. So doubleheaders in Major League Baseball are something that we have gotten our first taste of. It's something that we will start to see a lot more of, and we have to kind of attack it in this way. And this is the way that we should be looking at it. And we should be attacking it in a way that we can absolutely, I mean absolutely, make sure that we can make money on it. And I, I definitely think that we can. Finally, the last thing that I'm going to say um, over the last couple of minutes here, a little bit of bad news. UConn has announced that it is suspending its football program for 2020 because of corona. Uh, Huskies coach Randy Edsel confirmed this. UConn's the first FBS program to suspend its football season since the beginning of the breakout. I have told you that college football is my biggest worry. College football is the sport that I'm that worried about because I think there are greater things than just the athletes at play. I believe that the parents are going to scream, you put my child in danger. I believe that the lawsuits in this university itself has a certain obligation. I do know that a lot of these schools are not even going back to school. They're not even letting kids in the classrooms. So college football, I know it's UConn. No offense to UConn, but you're UConn, okay? Nobody really is going to lose sleep over the fact that UConn might not have a season. But I think, unfortunately, this is a harbinger of things to come. Do I think that there will be some sort of football played this year? Yeah, but I don't think that UConn's going to be the only team. You already heard Idaho, the Idaho Vandals, already saying that they don't want to play. We've heard about the Pac-12. You know, all the kids in the Pac-12 uh, made a, a big stink, and they're saying, we don't want to play. Pac-12 is already having problems. These schools are having problems that are lower schools. I get it. But guys, that doesn't mean that it's not going to trickle down. We still have a month before opening kick or so. And I think that, unfortunately, college football is in, in a little bit of trouble. They're in a little bit of trouble. And then finally, Nevada Sportsbooks looks $483,000 in June. June 2018, they made $20.1 million net revenue. June 2019, $16.5 million in revenue. Guys, $16.5 million plus. $20.1 million plus. This year, $483,000 down. This is not a story we couldn't touch on. I mean, absolutely massive. Dave Sharapin told uh, told everybody that the volume was down due to minimal, minimal travel to Vegas. Okay, that makes sense. The corona, obviously. Um, also... There are other reasons, and reasons that you don't think, why did they lose? Well, the KBO was very good to betters, and Dave backs this up. KBO was really uh, something that you could take advantage of. We didn't talk about it a lot on the show because I know that it's not a needle pusher for a radio's sake, but yeah, you could make some money on that. Oh, by the way, UFC favorites won it like about an 80% clip. So the only sport that was sort of going on was just putting money in betters' pockets, not in the casino's pockets, and... When casinos, as Dave said, when the casinos start taking ping pong bets, you know it's a little rough. So the you know, the sports books will be fine. 
The casinos will still stand. But man, this was a absolute devastating hit for them. They're going to have to be really on top of the money, which makes us even more valuable to you, the listener, because it's us against them. <laughs> and that's the reality of the situation. All right, guys, I want to say thank you again to Maury Brown. Go check out that article. It's very, very big. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be a part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARDEN. That's 1-855-442-7836. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.